This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros, and this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder of Imagine Ovation. My awesome guest with me here today is an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, and CEO of Maga.io, an analytics and marketing technology consultancy, and also the founder of a SaaS platform called UTM.io. In addition, he also finds time to be a 500 startups mentor and has previously started the first business accelerator in Orlando, Florida. He was previously selected to be a United States ambassador of entrepreneurship by the U.S. Department of State. Please welcome Dan McGaugh. Dan, thanks for being here again, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was a long intro, but uh, thanks so much. Good, man. Awesome. Well, you know, well-deserved. Done a lot of stuff. I'm sure, you know, I could have made it a little bit longer, but it's okay. You got all the cool stuff, at least. Yeah, at least. But no, man, thank you again for being here. Really appreciate it. And uh, really uh, inspired and interested uh, for, for people to really hear your story and, and hear where you, know, where you came from, how things kind of started. So let's kind of start from there, man. You know, just a little bit about your story. Like before you started Maga, I know you've been an entrepreneur for a, a long time. So how did things kind of get going in your career? What, what, how did it all transpire? Yeah, really, really good question. I mean, you know, I think it goes back. I mean, I've been on computers since I was four years old, right? So I've always been in tech. I've always been on computers. Um, luckily, when I was a kid, my mom was going to school for computer science. Uh, and I had a brand new IBM uh, computer to play with. And back at that time, you had to use MS-DOS to like find any of the games or do anything on it. So like, I just had to learn a little bit of code and MS-DOS by no means is any code, but it like got me into like, oh, there's something behind this. So now today, the fact that we do everything from a GUI, right, like a graphical user interface uh, is really, really awesome, right? But um, I've just always been in tech and then uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I grew up really poor in the ghetto and um, I was very lucky to go to a, a rich prep school. Um, so I got to see the contrast of life, like these super wealthy kids and then I was super poor. And I was like, well, I want what they have. But the only way I could do that was if I made money. So like I just learned how to hustle. Um, so I've always been trying to start businesses and stuff like that. Um, I started my first company. I was 13. I uh, was fairly successful in that. And then it ultimately uh, kind of had a little bit of fun and failed. Um, but, you know, I spent some time at uh, kissmetrics.com running their marketing team, worked at codeschool.com running their company. Um, so I've just, you know, between the time of being a kid and starting my own companies and having multiple companies to even working at some really cool companies, I've just been around for a little too long. So it's kind of hard to cover everything because uh, I think that'd be a long conversation. Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen some shit. And uh, I remember, you know, we've talked, we've talked before, but you've, uh, you've also met Neil Patel, right? I I've actually interviewed Neil uh, yeah. over two years ago. Yeah. What was it like uh, talking with Neil? I mean, he's, I mean, the guy's kind of everywhere in, in, in the marketing world, you know? Yeah, he's definitely the most famous digital marketer. Um, you know, I, my, I, I had always known of Neil Patel, but had never really like had much of a connection to him and stuff like that. Um, 
you know, when I was when I was running um, growth at CodeSchool.com, we used Kissmetrics as our analytics platform, yeah. um, and there were some problems with the product, and we wound up actually firing Kissmetrics as our analytics vendor, and we moved over to Mixpanel. And as part of that um, experience, I met a lot of the, the the senior leadership at Kissmetrics. I didn't meet Nail at that time, but I wound up hitting it off with a couple of people, and they're like, "Listen, you know, I think you'd you'd be a really good fit for our team." Uh, and I was like, "What, really? Like you're Kissmetrics?" But um, it kind of worked out to a few months later, I then got interviewed by Neil. Neil was super dope. Uh, we had a great call. He, you know, he, he's very personable. Um, he definitely knows his shit. Uh, I'm lucky as well that I know my shit as well. Um, so we got on a call and we just kind of hit it off and I had some calls with heat and after that, and then, um, I reported directly to Neil. So like on my first day, like I talked to Neil and stuff like that. Neil did my initial off onboarding there. But, you know, my my inner my relationship with Neil was pretty transactional in the fact that Neil's a really busy guy. Um, and he gave me a lot of pointers and tips when I was getting onboarded. But I mean, I, I didn't know I was being hired to replace Neil at Kissmetrics when I was hired. I was just told that I was coming in to be the director of marketing. And then on my first day, I was like told by Neil, oh, no, 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 you're here to like run all of marketing. Like, I, I'm just a figure. Um, you're in charge. So you're now head of marketing. So um, it was definitely a unique interaction where it was like, oh shit, like I've got to do your job now. I wasn't expecting that. And Neil was like, yeah, you report to the board starting in two weeks. He's like, I'll help with the first board meeting, but after that you're on your own. Um, but, you know, I worked with Neil. We had to do some negotiations together. We had to work together, of course, obviously at the company. Uh, and I've stayed in contact loosely with Neil uh, ever since. He's a great guy. I mean, like I meet a lot of these super famous marketers or whatever. And, you know, Neil and I, of course, don't get me wrong, we work together. So the relationship is a little bit different. He's one of the only people that like, I see him at a conference or something like that. We're both speaking. We give each other a hug. We say, what's up? He asks me how my wife is doing. He asks me how the kids are going. So while he can like be his character, which he is, right? Uh, I mean, his LLC is I'm a big deal, right? So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, we share a lot of things in common um, and we really got along. Um people don't always understand what he's trying to accomplish. I mean, at the end of the day, dude's about money, right? Like most of us. So, um, but his, his company, which I thought was super, super funny, which tells you how similar Neil and I can be his company was I'm a big deal LLC. And then my company used to be called F and amazing LLC. So if he gives you any idea, we both have a little bit of confidence in ourselves. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why we got along great, but we're also both, I think internally, we both are trying to figure out how to help other people. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that we really bonded on is that we, we, he does honestly care about other people, um, that are in his life. Uh, he might not care about everybody else, but, um, he's a pretty dope dude. That's cool, man. No, I like that story. That's awesome. You know, and you know, Dan, with, with you growing Maga and, and even UTM and, and just your past businesses and, uh, being an entrepreneur for, uh, you know, quite some time now, what does it really take? to be an industry leader. You know, we all want to be leaders in our spaces and our niches and in our areas, right? And it's not easy to do so. It's obviously uh, a lot of freaking hard work. Um, it takes, uh, you know, differentiation. Um, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, branding and marketing, obviously, and, and just uh, the ability to, to heavily puncture the market and, and provide, um, you know, more value. Um, but with what you've done and your and even just where you are right now with with Maga, what is it really, in your opinion, what does it take to be an industry leader? Mm. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways to answer that question, especially when you're talking about a company to a person or things like that. And I'll try to do my best just from like an entrepreneur's lens and also from a marketer. You know, the, the first thing that I would just say is you don't quit, right? Um, that's one of the things that's really, really hard. There's a big difference between quitting on something and then saying this is a bad deal and walking away. I want to be very clear with that. There's always times you need to say this isn't working and we need to do something else. Um, but giving up is really why people become industry leaders. They don't give up, right? They just keep pushing on it. They keep pushing on it. And there's a, a famous quote in the book, uh, Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, which says, you know, our favorite founders are not the ones that come to us and say, we had this amazing strategy and we did everything right. And this is the reason why we're an industry leader. Um, the, the founders that come to you and you say, I just didn't quit, right? Like it sucked. That's really how a lot of these uh, industry leaders get billed is that there's just somebody who's consistently trying over and over and over again, many times through straight up failure um, to be successful because they just have to fail over and over and over again until they figure out what's right. So I think that consistency of not quitting, of trying to figure out what's the better solution and then going for that is really whether a personal brand or a company um, is going to help you become successful. And, and I will speak very much for myself. Um, you know, one of the things that has held me back heavily in my career is my anxiety and my anxiousness and my excitement. Um, I have a tendency to be just super excited about things. And some people have a tendency to misconstrue that as I'm mad or I'm frustrated or I'm, I'm anxious. And, you know, while it may come off, my excitement comes off as, as anxiety, which is not necessarily the same as anxiousness, but it is, um, is something that has held me back in my life. Right. So, but I identified that as a problem, right? And I said, this is something I need to solve. This is something I need to work at. And I have tried many, many different ways to fix that. Um, and I failed, right? Consistently on redoing that. But I haven't quit on trying to figure out how to solve that because that's something that's going to hold me back in my career. Um, and, you know, long story short, uh, I gave up caffeine, right? And that was one of the biggest things I was able to help bring that excitement back uh, and really do it. And I, I don't drink caffeine now. I don't, uh, I don't, I, I drink decaf coffee if ever. And I try to even limit that because it does have caffeine. Wow. Yeah. So you, you have to figure out, um, you have to fail. And like, these are the things that we have to solve for. Um, and you have to just keep trying, right? It sucks uh, until you get better. And, you know, I'm still working at being less exciting by uh, my workout regimen is extreme. Like, and even Strava, my workout app is like, you should chill it out, bro. You should chill it out. Okay. Uh, but if I don't do that, uh, I wind up just being excited uh, to the point where it's overwhelming. And that's something that I'll never quit working at, right? Just like, and that's going to be something that prevents me from being an industry leader is that I can't control that, right? So the same thing goes with inside of your company is that there's going to be a million things you have to solve and you just can't quit at solving. You have to continue to iterate, continue to find a new solution. And I think that's going to be the case uh, across the board. Yeah, man, I, I love it. I think when you touched on just like that resilience and that, um, that ability to really persevere, because if you think about it, I mean, um, I mean, we're both entrepreneurs and a lot of people listening to this are as well. And it, it really is easy to quit. I mean, it, it, it is, you can let everything go. Um, I know for some people it's, it's, it's not, as, it's easier said than done, but it really is. You can quit anytime. And I think, um, I love what you said is that, if you're, if you just keep fighting for it and you keep, um, you keep pushing forward, yeah, you're going to make a thousand mistakes and it's common. It's normal. It's natural. Uh, but you just got to keep persevering and build, keep building that thick skin. Um, and that's just going to allow you to overcome a lot of obstacles and hurdles that are just naturally going to come your way all the time. And, 
and I think that's going to make you very different. And you're going to be, you're, you're going to really hit that positive momentum. Right. And I know we've yeah. kind of hit that and it's just ebbs and flows, man. It's, it's just part of the process. Yeah, no, being, being, a, being an industry leader is full of a lot more of zigs and zags than you ever expect. Um, and you know, we all think it's a linear hockey stick growth up and wow. no, it's just not how it works. And, uh, there was a, an article I was reading the other day that talks, they did a research study on what's the difference between entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. And there was one common core that they had in every single one of the cases that they talked about was that when they asked the question, was there ever a time in your life that you had to make a decision where there was either only one way forward, or you had to just stop. Um, and it was a life changing decision. We are either doing this or we're done. Um, and the entrepreneurs all said yes. And the entrepreneurs all said, no, I haven't had that, that case. And um, I think that's a big difference is, is on a daily, if not monthly basis, I have to make decisions where I don't have a chance to go back. Um, this is a, a decision that's made today and there's no changing it after I make this decision to move forward. And these are life altering events. Um, and that's where I say you can't quit um, because you're going to keep having those decisions come up. And if you quit making those decisions, then you quit being an entrepreneur. And that's the, uh, and that's also what keeps you from being an industry leader is that you don't keep making those hard decisions. Yeah. And in your experience, Dan, just through all these years of doing this, I mean, what, what do you see as like some of the biggest challenges and obstacles, problems uh, that companies have and yeah. how do they really overcome them? I know, and I know it's an overloaded question, but just in your opinion, man, like, what do you think are just some of the really, the really the biggest challenges that a lot of these companies have in ge just more generalized? Yeah, you know, I think there's a few things that are really, really common that we see. One, naturally, prioritization is always the big one, right? Focusing on the wrong thing at the wrong time, which can be really, really hard to do. And I, I've been lucky, right? I've, I started a business accelerator here in Orlando. Um, that's had dozens of companies go through it. I'm no longer involved with that accelerator, but uh, done a really good job. I've advised hundreds and hundreds of startups. So I've been very, very fortunate to see this across a lot of different stuff. Awesome. The biggest problem that we see most recently, especially with young founders, is they're not focused on revenue they're focused on raising funds. And instead of focusing on the customer, they're focused on the VC. And that's a wrong way to do it. And I, I've even learned that through my own failures uh, as a CEO and through failed startups. But the, the emphasis on raising money is twice, if not three times more important than raising revenue. Um, and I think that's a fundamental flaw with things. Um, and you know, when we started uh, Magal.io, we used to be called F and Amazing. Uh, that was about seven years ago. You know, we we didn't start a company. We had revenue. Um, people were consistently trying to hire me to do consulting. I then started outsourcing some of that consulting, and that then became an agency, right? So revenue wasn't our problem. We had revenue coming in, which was great, but that became our only focus. How do we get more revenue? The question was never, how do we raise more money, right? That just wasn't the question. We're trying to figure out how to sell more deals. I think a lot of companies get a little bit lost uh, in that. And instead of focusing on selling something to a customer, they focus on how do I get an investor to give me the money to build this? Uh, and I'll use my own company, UTM.io uh, itself. Don't get me wrong, UTM.io is built on the dollars we make at Magal.io. We're able to fund that company, which is great. However, when a company comes to us and they want a feature, they want something in the product, 
my first thought isn't we need to go raise money with a VC. My first question to that person is, listen, we've been looking for a commercial sponsor for that feature for a really long time. We're selling our price plans right now at around $3,000 a year. And to build that feature and to get that on your plan, you know, what we'll do is we'll increase your plan to $5,500 a year. And that will cover the cost to basically build that feature. So that way we can get going. How do you feel about being a commercial sponsor and getting what you need here? Many companies say yes. Um, and that's how I don't need to go raise additional VC capital is because I'm constantly trying to get my customers to pay me more revenue to build something. And most people have it. Oh, I need to go build all these things. I need to go get VC cash. And to me, I just think that's a, a priority that people typically get backwards um, because VCs are the most expensive money you'll ever take. Um, they end up at the IPO making way more money than the founders in most cases. Um, so save that day for when you really need a VC and when you can really get a good deal. So I just think revenue uh, and generating sales and doing sales. What is wrong with people? They're so scared to talk to somebody and sell their product or try to sell them the solution or ask them questions. I just, for me, that drives me nuts. Cause I remember a business I had, I don't know, what is this 10 years ago? I went door to door to small businesses to see if the business idea would even work. We just printed out flyers and made a quick website and I went door to door. You would never hear a founder do that ever. Like, and I'm not trying to say I'm special, right? I'm just saying that's what it fucking takes. Uh, and nobody does sales anymore, which blows me away. The best, Matt, uh, I'm going to pause for a second. So I think what you said was so, so powerful, man. Actually, I think one of the most powerful things that I've heard uh, on the show for a very, very long time uh, was the fact that you said a lot of startups, they they have the wrong priorities. I 100% agree with you. Um, I've dealt with hundred, hundreds of startups the last decade as well. And uh, I can tell you a lot of what I hear. Um, and some people may not like this, but that's fine. You know, this is, it's, this is what the show is about. It's raw and real, you know, tell it how it yeah. is. That's how it is. So, so the reality is, is that, and this is not for all startups, but the ones I've encountered with experience is they are looking for VC or angel investment, but they don't want to sell. And I never understood that. And they're always looking for investment, investment, investment. And I've even told them, I said, you know, have you tried this other route? Have you actually tried to get like sponsors? Have you tried to get, there's so many other ways to get, to get funding, to get capital. Dude, you know what I used to do when we started in 2011? I posted hundreds and hundreds of ads on Craigslist. That's how my company started. I That's grew awesome. a multi-million dollar company from Craigslist. <laughs> I, I, mean, I love it. I think that's and, and that's how we grew. And I, I didn't rely on Craigslist later. I mean, obviously as we grew, but, but yeah, I mean, it gave us some crazy clients in the beginning, but, but um, yeah. you know, that's, that's what we needed, man, to put uh, food on the table, to reinvest back into the business and to actually create an infrastructure and operation. Um, and I think it just it tells the story to a, a lot of um, entrepreneurs and startups is that man, like, you don't always need to get funding all the time. Be creative. That's that's what an entrepreneur is, is creative. You have to be yeah. a salesman. So I love it. I agree. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I've met way too many companies. I'm, as, as a person who invested in an accelerator and like push other companies forward and stuff like that, you know, I'd meet founders that would come to us and I'd be like, you should not be here, right? Like, you have the ability to go generate revenue and you should not be coming to me. And they'd be like, well, the advice and all this stuff. And I'm like, I want equity in your company so that way I can steal your profits from you. Like, let's just be transparent. Like, that's why I want equity in your company. Yes, I'm going to give you advice. 
But at the same time, you can probably get my advice without us taking 20% of your brand. Um, so like you really should not be here. You could get me as an advisor at your company for less than a half a percent, right? In some cases. So like, uh, I think some people just get too excited by raising money or getting into the accelerator um, and, you know, getting on TechCrunch is way too popular. And it, it's really not that important. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's a reason for funding. I agree. But that should not be your primary goal. That should be the tool that you're using to accomplish your primary goal, which at the end of the day is to build a great product that generates a profit for the business. VCs and money are a tool. They're not a goal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially the, the, some of the funniest uh, moments or some of the funniest times that I've, I've experienced, I've seen is when you, you'll see like the, uh, the startup, I don't even know if I'm going to call it a startup, but I would say that the, some of the, um, the people that want to be entrepreneurs and they have this idea and concept and they're trying to raise capital and funding and they have nothing built. They haven't put any of their own sweat, blood and tears or money into yeah. anything yet. And they're looking for funding. And I'm like, you know, you're way too early to even look for funding. You know, investors are not going to look even, even pay attention. Yeah. You might get one or you might, if you are a good salesman, maybe you can attract maybe a few that if they really believe in you uh, potentially, but it's just very, very difficult. If you haven't built an MVP, if you haven't built something yeah. tangible, you know what I mean? And they, they want to see that you put in your own sweat, blood and tears, even some of your own money, your own cash into it. Um, and, and that you tried to sell it and build momentum and traction on the product. Uh, and then you can go from there, you know, but it's just, it's crazy, man, what we've seen, but yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, I totally get it. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I've done it myself. So I, I take full ownership in the fact that I've made the mistake. Um, but that's the reason why I try to tell people now, like, don't do the same stupid stuff I did. Um, so, cause I've done some stupid shit really, really dumb. I mean, I named oh, my I company effing amazing. Not only is that dumb, it's amazing, right? But it's super cool. But, you know, it worked for us for, for five years, but we had to change the name. And we're double the size now because we changed the name. Awesome, man. I love it. Absolutely love it. So a uh, perfect segue into talking uh, about some, you know, a little bit of data, right? Which is, is a lot of yeah. experience. So with um, you talking about revenue, you mentioned revenue a few times. And what do, what do companies not just startups, just companies in general, what do they really have to look for? Um, like the KPIs or the data metrics, what do they have to look for in order to help them to grow their revenue? You know, because um, I've made this mistake as well. Um, you know, I love looking at data, but data also, you know, at least in my opinion, it, can, it, it depends on how you perceive it and it depends on what you do with the data afterwards, right? So it's mm -hmm. like, it's all, it can be a little bit subjective, but um, and, I, and I think some people look at data incorrectly. So for you and, and just your, your experience, you being a data expert, what, what helps in really allowing um, a, a decision makers to help them grow in revenue by looking at data correctly? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, every business is going to be different. So it can be a little hard to give a blanket statement yeah. of which data you need to look at. But, you know, the big thing that we always try to get people to understand is like, what are your leading and lagging indicators of success in the business? 
So as an example, like a leading indicator of revenue, a very, very early leading indicator of revenue is like number of uh, amount of traffic to the site, the lead conversion rate of the, the site converting into leads. And then of course, the next one would be number of leads that are converted to like an opportunity as an example, if you're a B2B business. Those are leading indicators that revenue is potentially gonna come. And if you can start to define what those leading indicators are, those are gonna be your metrics um, that you can of course point your finger at. So as an example, e-commerce companies, right? Leading indicators that you're getting closer to making a sale is the fact that somebody's actually getting to the product um, and then doing something with that product, whether it's adding to their cart, cart ads is a great leading indicator, things like that. So you really wanna find those leading indicators that are gonna help you understand like, hey, is this happening? And then you also have to look at those lagging indicators on those same things. So even after the deal is done, like was the deal successful? Was the deal profitable? All of those things, those lagging indicators, of course, are also going to tell you like, hey, listen, can we make more revenue in the future? So we always try to get people to try to understand what are those leading and ad lagging uh, indicators for them. And those again are gonna be metrics, but like what is the buildup uh, as we get there? Um, traffic to your website obviously doesn't really matter because you can get a ton of traffic if nobody converts, like it doesn't matter. Um, so you really do want to look at like, what are those critical moments, like the conversion rate from visitor to lead? And then what is the conversion rate from lead to meeting or opportunity or anything like that? So you have to find those key conversion points um, and then track those conversion points uh, throughout the funnel. And it can be hard because like in businesses like my own, uh, in both of my businesses and in all businesses, there's seasons, right? So um, it's hard because you try to build these linear models, right? So that way you can like grow the year. But in our business, once we hit May, well, decision makers in June, July, and August are on vacation. So deals slow down dramatically. But once we get to Q4, it's crazy. Everybody wants to do a deal, right? So to try to then layer on seasonality or cycles uh, can be really, really difficult. Um, so that's the reason why we try to focus on what are those leading indicators and lagging indicators. So that way, when we run our, our data, we can really look at that. So, um, but at the end of the day, you have to track data to even get to many of those things. Yeah. And what do you think about a little bit of a, a more uh, detailed question regarding like some of the, um, the uh, key metrics that we look at in regards to like a website, for example. So like, uh, like the bounce rate, right. Um, or even like, like click throughs. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, at least from my opinion, like the bounce rate, just because the bounce rate is high, it doesn't necessarily mean that that page is not doing its job. Right. Not all the time. Is, yeah. Is that right assumption? I, I want to clarify that. Cause I've had that, I've had those questions from clients even. Um, and I want to kind of clear that up a little bit. It, it's not really true. Right. The bounce rate, it just depends. It, it's, it depends on what that goal, what the goal of that, what the page is trying to achieve. Yeah. No, and you know, one of the pages on my website, right, has an extremely high bounce rate, but it's one of my highest lead driving pages there is, right? Yeah. Because people come to it, um, they read the content, they fill out the lead magnet, and then they bounce, right? So um, I think everything is an it's depends, which is really, really difficult. And that's why, you know, Mixpanel, one of our partners, large analytics company, they talk about instead of being data driven, you should be data informed. Because at the end of the day, the only reason why we're not replaced by artificial intelligence of robots is that we have the ability to do the critical thinking and be creative. Um, so you really do have to look at that number and be like, hey, listen, like with these seven other, with this context that I have, this is why bounce rate is high and that's okay, or this is not okay. Uh, and that really comes down to a wide various reasons. So um, I, you know, it's one of the reasons why when people ask the question, like what metrics matter? And I'm like, well, there's 
tons of businesses and tons of parts of that businesses. Um, so it makes it hard, but it all depends, right? And that's the reason why you've got to make the best decision with the best data you have and kind of what your gut's telling you. I mean, whether you like it or not, your gut is still right in a lot of cases. And don't get me wrong, your gut is wrong and you will pay the price when it is. Um, but uh, you've got to kind of go with your gut sometimes and use your your creative abilities, know whether something is right or wrong. And bounce rate is not a good metric in most cases, so. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, I'm glad to glad clear that up, <laughs> I've had that question. And like, and then you're, in your opinion as well for, um, you know, when you talk about data, you know, we talk about technology and we talk about that human touch, the human element as well. And it's, it's obviously very important to, to uh, have a, a combination of, of, the, of both of them. Um, in the B2B world, when do you think it's important, for example, like for B2B service, in the B2B service world, um, when leads come in through, let's just say Google and they go into a website and they request a quote, they, they want more information or whatever. When do you think it's important for the, the business development or the sales team to get involved and not really rely on automation? Because do you notice that, like I've noticed that even when I go on a, whether it's a SaaS product or if it's a service that I want, there's a lot of these automated emails that get sent to me. And some of them are really, really good. Um, and, and sometimes they do convert me. I'm not going to lie. I have been converted many times just through automation, but just in your experience, gen generalized again, of course, these are very general, but what do you think, when do you think that the, the human should really be involved? Yeah. It's going to come down to really the, the type of service that you offer and whether the service you offer is high touch or low touch. And, you know, um, if you're in a high touch business like myself, you want to get that human to contact them as soon as possible. But you also want to leverage automation to reduce manual labor. So like that, in that case, that's where like in our, our companies, we talk about a lot of templates and stuff like that. How do we reduce yeah. the effort for that person to send that? Um, if it doesn't feel like it's from a human, right? Usually you can tell it's not from a human, right? It's automated. So um, we always try to recommend people to have that human touch, especially in high touch service environments or anything where your business is high touch. And if you're you in a low touch, touch business, you, you need less low touch. What do you mean high touch again? Can you explain high touch and low touch again? Yeah, exactly. So like in, in our company, right, we're a consulting company. So our frequency of communication with you is going to be high touch. Like we're going to constantly be talking to each other. Um, even with UTM.io, our SaaS product, right? For our free users, it's extremely low touch because they can just use the product, right? They don't need us. For our enterprise users, it's a very high touch process because a lot of onboarding, a lot of setup. Um, so a low touch model would be like, hey, you're selling a, a solution which doesn't require a lot of onboarding. It doesn't require a lot of handholding. There's not going to be a lot of human interaction for the product in general. And that's how you should really decide on how much automation you use. Um, because if you're a service like, and I'll just try to give some like really real examples. If you're a service like Buffer, right? Really, really popular. That's a low touch model. You don't need to talk to them. So like right. if you are in the sales process, you can automate more of that because even if you're an enterprise customer who's buying like super expensive Buffer, you're anticipating getting some automation. But if you go to like one of our clients, we work with a company called Sprinkler, right? They're in the social media space, but they only sell to basically the Fortune 500, right? It's going to be an extremely high touch uh, engagement when you work with them. Like you're going to be heavily involved, which would mean that when they, when you fill out a lead gen form, like a sales rep should reach out to you. Like you're probably going to get the automated email, like, hey, thanks for reaching out. But then everything is going to be personal later. Um, and that's really where you have to make that decision. Is it my business high touch? Well, then it should be more sales up front. If it's low touch, well, maybe it should be less sales up front. Love it, man. And where do you think, Dan, like with just all the 
changes that we're experiencing uh, in the world right now, even um, sometimes I'm careful with saying post-COVID. I know COVID is still, you know, around and especially- Still here. Still, still here, man. So, but I'm talking about, it, uh, at least in the U.S., it's it's better than where it was in 2020. Um, yeah, yeah, so, so um, kind of in the world we're in right now, the reality we're in right now with all the changes on a, a consumer behavior level, uh, just on- uh, uh, purchasing behavior level, the way things are changing and pivoting around the world, where do you think data is going and even marketing and even, um, I'll keep it simple, data and, and marketing, where do you think that's kind of going in, in the future? You think, you think it's heavily shifting and changing? Do you see a lot of, a lot of trends right now? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing with data right now is everybody's a little freaked out about all these privacy changes and stuff like that. And it's really unfortunate because at the end of the day, these privacy changes in many cases, like Apple, it's really just Apple having a pissing match saying, hey, we have more power than Facebook because there's one device that knows more about you than anything else in the world. That's your phone. And Apple gets all the data from your phone. And their whole thing is we don't sell it. Yeah, we know you don't sell it, but you leverage it across your vast ecosystem of products, just like everybody else. So, you know, I think data is going to change a lot because like there's a lot of this privacy stuff going on and things like that. And a lot of it's being switched to like first party data. So data that we own or data we collect and then how do we store that? So I think data is only going to become more and more important than it already is. And I think people kind of forget this, but data is the most valuable asset that you have in your company. When you look at the most valuable companies in the world and you ask the question today, why are they most valuable? Now, if you ask that question 50 years ago, obviously it was way different. Your most companies in the world, right? Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Google. Why are these companies so valuable? It's their data. Uh, at the end of the day, that's what's made them so successful. Um, don't get me wrong. Apple has had some in a very, is in, uh, visionary things, but at the end of the day, their ability to track the data across all of their platforms is how they get you to go from an iPhone uh, to a MacBook to uh, any of the other products. Like them knowing that information is going to be what helps them effectively do that. So I think data is going to become just even more prominent. I mean, that's our business is beyond, I mean, we're sold out until October at least, and we'll be sold out by the end of the year or for the end of the year within the next couple of months here with no problem because everybody's trying to get more data and that's what we do. We help you capture data and we help you leverage data. I mean, that's a huge part of our business. So I just think that that's going to accelerate um, for a very long time. I mean, it's been accelerating crazy. And then to say with marketing, you know, the big change that we're seeing most recently in marketing right now is trying to find better ways to communicate um, with your customers on a much personalized le uh, level and being super, super targeted and stuff like that. And soon leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning. And what you have to understand is for you to get personalization, for you to use artificial intelligence, for you to have segmentation, you need the data. So they're really, really attached at the hip there um, where all the new outcomes that people are trying to create just require even more data. Um, so I see, see more people trying to capture more data and then better leverage that data. I mean, that's that's really what, at least from our vantage uh, on the world, uh, that's what people are trying to do. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, love it, love it. So really great information. I think uh, I think a lot of people are gonna really find lots of value from this. So uh, Dan, you know, for you, you know, and all the successful businesses and ventures, and yeah, of course we've all had our failures too. That's what it takes to succeed is like we talked about perseverance, but with the success that you've had, um, and I love what you've done. Um, you know, I think you've done a, a lot of amazing things and you're gonna continue to do so. But for the way you've established yourself as a leader and the businesses you've grown and the value that you've provided to, to the community and to the world, what do you think 
for future leaders, what would you say as, how would you give them advice um, and inspiration on what it really takes to succeed now in 2021 and beyond? What, what do you think it really takes? And I know perseverance yeah. is a big one, but what's, let's get a little bit deeper. Yeah, no, uh, perseverance, of course. I mean, uh, understanding, like, managing and setting expectations, I think is really, really important for most, most people getting into any type of leadership role. One, you have to set your own expectations correctly. And you've just got to understand that being a leader sucks. Um, while it's cool and everybody thinks it's great, like it's, it's still really, really hard. So I think managing your expectations is good. Um, you know, I think um, humility is something that's really, really important. I think listening is something that's really important. Um, you know, I listen to Ryan Holiday's uh, Daily Stoic on his podcast all the time. I read uh, Ego is the Enemy. Um, a lot of people who are going into leadership are hopefully confident people. Many times you have to have an ego, things like that. But the more that you can do to counteract that by listening to other people, putting other people first is really, really important. And my, you know, I'm not a big believer in um, there's a servant. I'm a servant leader. Right. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not anybody's servant. Right. And I don't think anybody's my servant. I just don't think that's the right way to look at it. I get the whole premise. But just the servant term to me is just a little hard. But at the end of the day, as, as the CEO of the company, I'm here to lead. My job is to listen to my team, help them make hard decisions, encourage them when they're having a hard time, and let them know I work for them. Um, at the end of the day, my job is to support them. They have a problem. My job is to, to support them. They're having a woe. My job is to listen, um, not talk about myself. My job is to listen and say, is there anything I can do to help you? Um, do you want my feedback or are you just looking for somebody to vent? So I think communication skills is really, really important. Um, I spend a considerable amount of my time on reading. Um, you know, being a leader is really, really difficult because you have to be able to adapt in a lot of situations. And reading by far, I think, is one of the most underrated things. I read 42 books last year. I've already read over 20 books this year. Wow. Um, and, you know, in, I, you know, I think last year was, I grew more last year than I did in any other year of my life. And not because of COVID, right? Like um, COVID was just the chaos that I'm used to. So um, the, the reading that I was able to accomplish, um, I think really kind of, it changed me as a person, but it also changed me tremendously as a leader. So I hope all that's helpful. I think that was a little bit of a, a ramble. No, uh, no. So I love it, man. I absolutely love it. And, and I, no, I love how you got into it. And you know, I was also going to ask, what are your thoughts on, you know, the habits that you, uh, you know, that, that you've consumed, that, that you uh, keep consistent on, on a daily basis? Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of talks about this. It's like, you probably hear this all the time, right? It's like, oh, you need to wake up at four or five. Everyone has their oh thoughts on that. Dude, I, I know, I know, I know. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. I'm not an early riser. I can say that. I can tell you that right now. It's fine. Um, yeah. I've always been a night owl. I, I used to work until three or four in the morning for five years. That's how I built this, this company. Um, and it's, it, it worked for me. Um, <laughs> you know, so everyone yeah. has their own thing, but it's like, do you notice though, that there's, uh, we're always trying to set these rules it's crazy, right? Like I see it on LinkedIn yeah. all the time. They're like, oh, they're like, it's it's what it takes to succeed. It's those five AMers. That's not what it takes to succeed. Uh, <laughs> it's just you know, I, I think um, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of as as I like to call it hype sauce, right? There's a lot of hype sauce out there. That's uh, I'm better than you because I wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you know, I I you know I certain times of the year I can wake up at five a.m. Certain times of the year I can't. Like I I follow my biological clock and I do that. So like right now we're in the summer season and going into fall. It just doesn't work for me to wake up at five a.m. My kids are out of school. All that stuff just doesn't work. Um, I usually get up about seven a.m. I don't come to work until ten a.m. And that's because I have a three hour window for me to do my family stuff yep. for me to be able to go work out and for me to be able to get some of my own prep time. Right. So like, that's not normal. Most people are like, I got to start early. And I'm like, no, I started 10. Now don't get me wrong. I'm doing emails at nine o'clock at night many times. And I'm definitely working throughout the entire day. Um, but I make that system work. But the big things that I would just say that I've really found that have helped me become consistent um, and, and be more successful. One, I'm diligent about reading books, right? That's super, super big. I'm constantly reading a book. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend doing that. Um, every single day, I think of three things that I'm grateful for. Um, I actually have an app that reminds me to talk about the, every single morning I get a text or a push notification. What are the three things that I'm grateful for? And I write down the three things that I'm grateful for. And you'll be amazed at how important that is every single day. If you can come up with, even if you're lying to yourself, like I'm grateful that I'm alive today, right? And you're depressed. You'll be amazed how much just writing that down will change the rest of your day. And I did that consistently for about a six month period and it completely changed my life, right? So like, um, and then at the end of the day, I also then spent an additional five minutes, the same app. I can't remember what the app is called. Um, let me actually look that up. I think that'd be helpful for people. It's called Morning, um, it but it's about gratitude. Yeah, it's just called Morning. Um, and at the end of every single day, I also write down uh, what could I have made today better. I write down three things that I could have done differently that day. And then also, what are the, some of the amazing things that happened today? And I write these things down every single day. I get a push notification. And the reason why I do this is because it gives me an opportunity. You know, I start out my day positively. I'm grateful for these things. And I go through my entire day being figuring out what are the things that I'm grateful for. Yes, life sucks. I just I lost $50,000 on a bad business deal this week that's miserable. Like I was stressed out. I had to leave the office, well, my spare bedroom, uh, and go outside and go for I see a the walk. Employees. I see them. I see them. They're back. They're back. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that was miserable. But you know, at the end of the day, I, I was grateful that we were able to come up with a solution and I was grateful for the, uh, the things that we're doing. And I was grateful for how my team came together to help me in that situation. And I can't dwell on the bad. I, I it's a lesson I have to learn. So I think having gratefulness, um, having a routine like that is really, really helpful. Exercise, I think, is extremely, extremely important. Um, so I would definitely recommend just take a walk. You don't have to go to the gym. A 10-minute walk every single day will change your life. I promise you this. There's studies on it. And it was like, what? A 10-minute walk outside every day will completely change your outlook. I've asked for that. It does help a lot. I, I did it a lot uh, last year, the last year and a half. It's helped. It's amazing. Yeah. It gives you a sense of purpose. Um, so, you know, outside of that, um, I think that that's some of like the biggest things that I, I would just try to stay consistent on is be grateful for three things a day. Find a way to just do a minimum of 10 mile walk. Don't run. I do a five mile run or an eight mile run. So like, I don't expect people to do that. Um, but those are the things that really set my day up for success. And then I make my schedule work for me. Uh, I would definitely say that's another really important thing that people, we're always trying to fit in that client. We're always trying to make them happy. I make my schedule work for me. I cancel meetings all the time. I reschedule meetings all the time because at the end of the day, I'm never going to get time back with my kids. I'm never going to get time back with my wife. I'm never going to get my life back. There is no rewind button at all. Yeah. There's just no rewind. Put yourself first. And yes, sometimes you have to be respectful to your clients. Don't get me wrong, but put yourself first. And I think people kind of lose that, especially when we get into this game. Yeah, man. Uh I completely resonate with that very, very much. Um, yeah. And you know, one thing, and a shameless promo, uh, 
I, I wrote a book that it's called build cool shit, right? So like my business is all around helping people build marketing tech stacks and sales stacks and all that stuff. And I want to give everybody here a free opportunity to get a copy of my book. And we just changed this. So you don't even have to pay for shipping. So if you pull out your cell phone, right? And then you go to your text messages, I want you to text this number. So pull out your cell, go to SMS. And I want you to put down the number 415-915-9011. I'll say that again, 415 415- 915-9011. And all you have to do is text the word MarTech, M-A-R-T-E-C-H, and you get a free copy of my book, Build Cool Shit. And this will help you understand how to build your marketing stack, right? And one of the things you asked about what, what has helped make me successful is I figured out my why, like Simon Sinek talks about. My why is I want to make other people successful. That's my why. I want to make other people successful. So I hope that by getting a free copy of my book, and it's a real book, we'll send it to your house. I hope getting a free copy of my book will help you be more successful in whatever you're trying to accomplish when it comes down to your tech stack and things like that. Awesome, man. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, this has been this has been wonderful. Really appreciate it, uh, Dan. This is amazing. And uh, I think, as I mentioned before, this is going to really help a lot of people and inspire on multiple levels and just provide the utmost value to them. And uh, the last thing I have here for you is, uh, you know, when it comes to your story, Dan, you know, just everything you've been through, you know, it could be your life career, I'll let you choose. Uh, but what would you say your one word would be if it had to relate to your story? Your one Amazing. Word. Amazing. Amazing. It's always been my word. And that's how my outlook is on life. I'm in the worst. I could be having the worst day of my life and I'm still going to tell you my day is amazing. I love it, man. Well, I really appreciate it again, Dan. This has been an honor, man. And uh, thank you so much. And uh, where can uh, where can everyone find you? Yeah, go, one, you can go to magal.io um, and check out our site and go see all of our free resources. If you scroll to the bottom, you'll be able to find all kinds of cool stuff for help. Um, but if you want to contact me, reach out me, to me on LinkedIn. So uh, Dan McGaw on LinkedIn, I'm active on there. Um, definitely come, come hang out with me. Cool. Brother, thank you so much, man. Really, really much a pleasure. And I look forward to, to connecting with you, man. And hopefully, uh, I know a lot of people are going to really be inspired by this. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been an honor. Yeah, buddy. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And this is your host, Michael Giorgio on Tales from the Pros. And until next time, thanks, guys. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also follow our social media. Uh, there are links somewhere around here. But uh, we really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for all the support. And I'm going to be giving you awesome content continuously. And we look forward to seeing you soon.